Hi, and welcome to the Dabuti podcast. I'm your host, Giordano Durante. As Christmas is coming up, I thought I'd share three very short autobiographical Christmas-themed stories that are written over the years. They're boozy and nostalgic, and I hope they remind you of your own Christmases. The first one, written recently, is called A Yanito Christmas. A Yanito Christmas. Like all pleasure, the lead-up had a precious, frenzied quality to it. You could argue that those days before a Yanito Christmas were more charged with possibility and joy than the event itself. For we had the vaudeville of daytime drunkenness in town on the 24th, the shuffling from three owls to corks and beyond by large-coated men who'd spent all year longing for such abandon. For today there were no rules. An early morning anise followed by lukewarm Heinekens in the office. Today they set the rules. But you might as well ask a toddler to choose his daily menu. The result was the same. Sweaty-faced truculence and violent spewing in the urinals. By 3pm, the real heroes emerged from the group dynamic, the lions among them, the recently divorced, and those who were only allowed out by their wives on this sacred day. They were the ones leering at girls 20 years younger, standing on tables, mimicking a sambomba, and ordering shots as if it were the prohibition. The ones who had to go back home to their partner and kids, you almost saw the dressing down they'd get in a few hours, a pall of terror descending at unguarded moments. That made it sweeter, for these were minutes stolen from the everyday, from time itself, for turning around in a quixotic gesture to gaze at the office crush contained for them all eternity. I remember one Christmas Eve, that moment when you're deep in conversation and look at your watch, 7pm, time to feign sobriety. And we returned home to help set out the nibbles and martinis in tiny glasses, glasses that had lived a year in the shadows, to greet family members carrying bags of gifts and complaining about parking. The world we created has been wound up. The old order has returned. Let the gods we summoned bury themselves while we balanced dishes of prawns. The feast was childhood itself. The pea soup, the clove-studded pork joint, the polverones like sweet sand in our mouths. Utterly ravenous, beyond drunkenness now, a sort of purgatory before a hangover, with only two choices, sleep or more debauchery. This choice would be postponed by the nuts the best dates, un licorcito. My grandfather would mysteriously disappear to the toilet to get changed into a Father Christmas costume, but his hands and blue eyes were still familiar. It took years to put these clues together, and the result wasn't disenchantment. It was awe and candlelit tenderness that he'd persist in the scam just for us. When younger, we collected the big piles of wrapping paper after the gifts were handed out, and played at being bin men, and my cousin would draw his fingers across the taut surface of a balloon. And then, after a few days of recovery and leftovers, an almost repeat of what had gone before, watching the new year being marked with fireworks in the old colonial outposts on Sky News. Mira Sydney, Grandpa! Mira Bombay, Capera! But we'd switch to La Primera for the grape-guzzling Ana Obregón and Matias Prats at midnight in Madrid 
then wear our first suits ever for the dance, a photo showing our acne and rosebud lips. And that night, we'd act in a film to watch later when some things were lost. And so it would end. The trigo chucked out of a window, crashed on the pavement, puzzled over by the hungover on morning dog walks. My second story was written quite a while ago, and it's called El Muermo. El Muermo. When I was 16 or so, I'd always stayed asleep at my grandmother's flat in Castle Road after a Friday night out. Their house was much closer to town than mine, so it meant I could make the most of the night before my 2am curfew. My grandmother would still be awake at the time, watching a dubbed American movie, maybe a high body count action film with Wesley Snipes, wearing her, her dark gafas pavela tele and sipping a cup of tea. I'd lope up in Valali and end up under her sitting room window and call out, Granny, Granny, until she came down to unlock the street entrance door. One night before Christmas, I was inevitably head-swimmingly drunk in that way that we're drunk when young, confident and exuberant in thought and talk. We'd probably shared a bottle of Johnny Walker diluted with Coke and Boulevard and then gone on to the clipper for a few pints before ending up in the mokta for a portion of chips with cocktail sauce which would burn my numb mouth. My grandmother never seemed to notice. Que rey, está bien? I think I went through the tea and sandwich routine once. Normally it was a few gulps of sweet orange juice, a piss and then to bed. This one night, although I could usually hold my booze quite well, I'd overdone it. I lay in the smaller uncomfortable bed in the spare room and started feeling odd. I just couldn't settle. And then the familiar signs announced themselves. A salty taste came into my mouth. My stomach was at sea. Clearly, I had to puke. My grandparents' toilet was outside the flat. You had to open various locks and go up a flight of stairs and remember to take the key. I thought about this plan, all the steps it would involve, about how I would have to maintain the semblance of sobriety and control, and dismissed it. There was only one option which presented itself to me with the curious but undeniable logic of inebriation. I'd just have to puke out of the window. The window overlooked the Prince Edwards Road Castle Road Junction, just opposite Carter's convenience store. It wasn't too high up, and the area, at least at this time of night, should have been deserted, the perfect place to let loose a torrent of boozy vomit. I opened the sliding window and looked down, the liquids inside me already surging up into my mouth, and right there, right where I was about to spew, there was a middle-aged couple talking. So there I was, looking down onto their heads, my mouth full of puke, a toxic mix of whiskey, beer and barely digested chips, my teeth already aching from the acid, and I start thinking that perhaps I should just let it all go. After all, they won't know exactly which house it came from. Then something shifts in the way they move. They seem to say goodnight. Thank the gods it's not some protracted argument or kissing session. And they part. The woman walks down Prince Edwards. The guy carries up, up Flatbastian. And I open my mouth and yellow bile streams out, filling my nostrils with the rancid stench of the night's antics. I'm sure they must have heard it hit the ground. I clean my mouth and my t-shirt, close the window and get back into bed and fall asleep in seconds. The next morning, the first thing I do is look out of the window, 
to check if it's true, and there it is, a dried yellow splatter on the pavement, like a broken starfish out of water. And finally, I want to share with you a little memory from when I was 16 or so, called Catalan Bay. Catalan Bay. During those dead days in between Christmas and New Year's Eve, those days when you're off school but free from the polvoron-eating family duties, a friend of mine who lived in Catalan Bay invited me to a dance in the village's social club. I placed dance in inverted commas because there was little formality and less dancing at this event. It was instead a community-sanctioned piss-up in the, to us, exotic location of Catalan Bay village. The village, for me, squeezed between a roaring Levanta sea and the crumbling cliffs of the east side of the rock, full of unknown yellow-lit alleyways and a small parish church, amounted to a foreign country, with all the freedom from established moors that that implied. One image I still have is of us sharing a potent joint in the playground before the dance, and then consuming dozens of cut-priced bells and coke during the dance. I don't think we spoke to any girls, but they were there transformed by makeup and their best clothes and surrounded by the aura of unfamiliarity that the Christmas season and our location created. The result was the ordinary-looking, mousy girl whose path he crossed every morning on the way to school was now, thanks to the dim lighting of the damp club, the weed, the flush of festive food and booze and the way her mother had styled her hair, a kind of siren. They never looked like us to us again. When the night was over, I remember that we stumbled back to my friend's house. It was a masonette, and his dad woke up when we made so much noise getting in. It was around 4am and my shoelaces must have come undone because as I followed him up the stairs to the bedroom, his stern father watching us, I tripped over and fell flat on my face. And we both laughed so hard and for so long that my stomach muscles hurt the next day. <laughs>